And now, welcome to The Approach with Jeremy Seaholm, Danny Finn. This is going to be take two of our interview with Mike Morin. We um, were in here, it was basically your home every Sunday for about five or six years, right? About eight years. Eight years. Only felt years. like five. <laughs> so how, I mean, what made you get into this 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 profession? What, broadcasting Broadcast, or yeah, broadcast, yeah, just broadcasting. I, I knew when I was 11 years old I wanted to be on the radio because after having been uh, taking a bus to school up until fifth grade, we moved. And where we moved to didn't have bus service, so my parents had to drive me. And that's when I was exposed to morning radio uh, back on uh, WXYZ in Detroit. It sounded like they were having so much fun. I said, I got to do this. And I never looked back. And that was over 50 years ago. Now, you weren't you weren't you didn't grow up in this area. I did not. I moved here in 1984, about half a life ago. So, so they don't have uh, can open in Detroit, correct? They do not. No, when I moved here and I and I saw it on TV when I was actually the weekend before I started on WZOU 94.5, we were in town at the Royal Sinesta Hotel on the Charles River. They put us up in a swanky place. And I just turned on the TV while I was waiting for my then wife to to you know get ready so we could go look at houses. And I put on Channel 5. I said, what the hell is this? I mean, I know that sounds strange to yeah. people because almost everybody probably listening or watching grew up here so this is what you've always known but when all you know is is the other kind of bowling and then you see this just out of nowhere it makes an impression and i immediately dove into it within weeks no what was your first experience trying the game i i can't honestly remember i can tell you my first game was a 10 pin bowler when i was six <laughs> and i can tell you what the score was yeah which was probably the same as my first candleton score 36 oh jeez <laughs> no i know it was better than that but it was at the acton Bowlerdrome. Uh, owned by uh, Bob and Sharon Sunberg. And uh, I, I went there mostly because there was no 10-pin houses near my house. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to get any better at 10-pin. Why don't I try Candlepins and see if I, you know, if, if it's going to be fun? And it was. I joined a Tuesday league immediately and stayed on that league until my schedule changed and I, I couldn't bowl anymore on that league. So what, what were you averaging in that Candlepin league? I, I think my first year was 98. And I eventually worked my way up to like 107, just bowling once a week. Yeah, that's so not I bad. felt that wasn't too bad. And I would say the Bowlerdrome was not a fast house, not a slow house. I thought maybe you guys have bowled there in the past. Very, very honest house. Yeah, that, that's a very good way to put it. So one of my highlights there, well, I have a couple. One of them was bowling a 113 triplicate on Friday the 13th. Ooh, really? Yeah, pretty weird stuff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so you started getting into the Candlepin. How did? your broadcasting career and your Candlepin broadcasting career merged together. That's pretty crazy. Uh, well, first of all, just to kind of back up, uh, the, I told you about listening to radio in Detroit as a kid at 11 years old. The morning host was named Fred Wolf. Now, I also watched him on Championship Bowling every Sunday on ABC at noon, and he was the host for that show, even though they, they taped it in places like Akron and Chicago and North Carolina. He was the host. So he did the two things that I loved the most when I was, you know, like 10 or 11 years old, radio and bowling. So when I had the chance to come on Channel 50 for Stars and Strikes, they were just looking for somebody to, to sit in with Dick Lutz. I don't think they had any idea that I had somewhat of a bowling background. Right. I was a bowler. I, I'd done tournaments. I bowled at, at the Acton Bowlerdrome. And I had almost a 200 average in 10-pin. So I knew the game from, from all different angles. They didn't know that. They must have been surprised <laughs> when I got on there and kind of knew what I was talking about. So, so was, was Dick a bowling guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, every six minutes, if you listen to any of the old tapes, hey, Mike, have I told you lately I'm from Worcester? Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's and he true. was. Yeah. So he's very proud of that. And oh, yeah. He, he wasn't a bad bowler. He's uh, he's a lefty. And every year we would have a, a grudge match when we did a, uh, a tournament for the uh, the kids that went to Canada every year. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, that place was packed. I don't know if you guys ever made it to that. I, I did not. <laughs> I, I think I made it to one of them. Tony Marie what, Baldinelli, yeah. uh, Bart Medeiros. And, and all the pros showed up. I mean, all of them to help Tony and the people raise money and, and the Madero's family. They got buses and they sent them to Canada for the big international tournament. So I have to tell you, it was pressure. Yeah. Because every year, Dick and I would bowl one match where it was just him and me out there. And uh, I guess my thrill there was 
picking up the five seven without wood one time. That was <laughs> that that's was, pretty good. That was pretty fun. But I think after probably five or six years, we were either even or one one more than the others. Now, did you ever try out for any of those TV shows you were broadcasting on? Uh, you mean any of the roll offs? Like oh, I know Jeremy oh, was chasing roll offs for years to be on TV. Oh, God, did you ever no. try? No, but I tell you what, I, I loved the amateur candlepin tour. Yeah. That was perfect for me. So Be so who ran the amateur? That was, uh, was it uh, uh, Jim Porterfield and uh, maybe Linda something. I mean, we're talking late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Long time ago. But I tell you what, hundreds of people every week, there was more money in the ACT than there was in the WCBC. Because there were more bowlers. So we have that situation with um, even out on the Bear tournament that we do, where you can see it. Some of the scratch bowlers get upset because we do a handicap one and we do a scratch one. And there's always more money in the handicap one because that's what seems to fill out a little bit more. Yes. Uh, and I love that concept of what you guys came up with. The, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't come up with anything. <laughs> oh, sure. I told him. So, I told him the so idea the quick backstory about out on the Bear that I'll tell you is when, when I approached Jeremy with the idea that, I, that Kate and I had come up with, uh, he said, it's a terrible idea. I don't think people are bowling it, but you can try if you want. Well, I mean, to be fair, the, the, the tournament has evolved from your, from your original idea. There was, there was some bad, uh, bad ideas that I came up with at first that evolved into what it is now. So, so basically my thought was, I don't think people are going to pay $30 to bowl one string. So there was no buybacks right. originally. Oh. So, if, so you essentially could bowl one bad string and you're driving however far. And we have people come, you know, renting hotels coming from Maine. We have two Canadians that are coming and bowling this time around. Imagine driving, what, eight hours, getting a hotel, coming down, throwing four spread eagles and getting a 92. <laughs> and then you're all done. I'll pass on that. <laughs> so, so the but, buybacks did evolve the, so, the tournament. So what kind of money is, is to be won now as you've evolved it? It depends on the buybacks, but I can tell you uh, Marissa Ewing, um, our first ever female champion, she's 18 years old. She bowled in her very first start on the bear and walked out of there with $2,500. Nice. For a, what, a, a $60 is that a one or a two day? It's a one-day event. It's a one-day thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's about six or seven hours. She, she was the last entrant because we had a dropout, and she went, I'll take the last spot, and ended up taking the whole thing home. So is that the handicap? That was the handicap one. So uh, She most will not bowl on the scratch one. No, well, <laughs> who would? Uh, but are most of the bowlers here? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take over the interview, but I am interested. No, you're good. Although it's too far for me to drive, I think, for the most part, for, for four spread eagles, as you, <laughs> as you put it. But do you find that most of the people with higher handicap or the two or three pins of string uh, handicap win the most? So it's really evolved. There was a sweet spot. And Jeremy, you bowled in a lot of them, so you would know. There's a sweet spot, I would say, between 111 and 116 yeah. that was winning it every year. Post-COVID, it's evolved a little bit. And I'll tell you that the, the last two winners was Mike Legender and the handicap, Mike Legender and Marissa Ewing. Mike uh, had a real bad regular season and only averaged 99. I think Jeremy called him the best 99 average bowler he'd ever <laughs> <I> seen. <did. laughs> Mike Sorry, used Mike. to average like 112, 113. Okay. Um, what I will say is he almost got eliminated in the fourth round. He made the cut by like two pins. And then for whatever reason, found his old Mike Legender self and went off and, and nobody could catch him. Marissa um, finished the season with a 79 average. She told me she had no interest in bowling tournaments. And then Kate actually talked her into bowling into a tournament called Rolling to the Oldies that Matt Nichols created, where you had to have somebody over 50, somebody between 30 and 50, and somebody under 30. They ended up coming. They were the runners up to the, in the tournament. And I think Marissa got the bug to start bowling in more things. She started bowling in more tournaments. Um, she started practicing a lot more. She does. She works for Ryan's. And so when the spot opened up for Out on the Bear, she goes, well, I'm here anyways. I might as well bowl. Now she's bowling in the Amateur Candlepin Bowlers Tour. She's won one of those tournaments. She should be a 90 average. But because we take fall averages, she gets a little bit of a yeah. gift. She's not going to get that next year. I was going to ask uh, if the Amateur Candlepin Tour was back because I think I've seen it uh, yeah. on Candlepin Chat. So they just started their first year. Uh, Corey, you bowled in it, actually. I bowled the first stop, um, which was out uh, Second stop, actually, and hang up. Yep. So there's been two out in Waitonsville, and it's all handicapped, so it gives an opportunity to bowlers like Marissa who are trying to right. get there. So Marissa won the one in hanging with Matt DePiro. Yep, and, but it's only 80%. 90. 90% handicap. So it has a little bit to, for the higher bowlers. Is, is there a cap, though? There is not. Nope. See, I wouldn't bowl on it because of that. Yep. So it's full. Quite honestly. 90% means I'm at a 10% disadvantage yes. already. So I've never been a fan of anything less than 100%. A lot of people will argue with me yeah. on that. I'm not going to bowl them. Yeah. So I will tell you that there aren't a lot of 
one ten plus bowlers who bowl in it. No. It's typically I can tell you Marissa is a it was a seventy nine. She should be a ninety one in my opinion. Um, that's what her summer league. Matt Zapiro, they won the that was a doubles random draw. They they won the Hingham one, and that's a Matt Zapiro I believe is a hundred average. Do you remember who won the one the first one in Whitensville? Um, I don't. But I know John Ahern's the point leader right now. He's a 70. Ask if he's in the chat. Dan Esdell was the MC for the finals of the first event. So, so Dan, if you know who it was. Didn't Matt Nichols win that one? No, he, no, he, he lost. Was first in the, in the roll-off. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah, I don't. It might have been John Ahern, actually. But either way, the the last one, I'm a 105 average. I came in second, and I lost by two pins to a guy with a 95 average. Hmm. Um, so it, it still seems to benefit the bowlers that aren't the 115 average bowlers. Okay. So it, 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 it's evolved from what it was. Some people have said have a cap on it, but really it's, it's a handicap tour is what it is, and it does level the playing field an awful lot. Well, I'll tell you, the money in the uh, ACT, I mean, it, was, it ran 52 weeks a year, and there were hundreds of bowlers. Yeah. They'd run maybe four or five shifts on Saturday. Then they would have a semifinal at maybe 10 o'clock on Sunday morning of about 30 bowlers or a certain percentage. And then the top five would go in a stair step at the head final elimination. And uh, the one time I did win was actually uh, a one day event because they couldn't use the lanes for two days in a row. And it was at my home house of Acton. So I did get to win a, a title there. Uh, just bowling four games. <laughs> so so Dan Esdell, which was relatively useless information, said John didn't win, but didn't then say who won. So I don't I don't know what you're trying to do, Dan. <laughs> but he does have a question for you. And that question is, would you be willing to have a grudge match uh, with Dick? Uh, I, I would love it. Yeah. Of course, because we haven't bowled against each other in probably 15 years. Yeah. Do we know if he still bowls? Uh, I don't know if he does. I, I chat with him occasionally. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, if, if somebody wants to, uh, to lay out some dough, <laughs> <laughs> you know, am I going to drive to Millis? <laughs> we can we can, there's a lot I'm of houses we kidding. can make it work. I'm only kidding. This I, one seems to be in your backyard, so maybe yeah. we can set it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Lexi can make well, that work. I could I would I can certainly uh put that to him and see if he would be interested. Yeah. I've so, only bowled once in the last 3 years after COVID, and that was with the the Pro Bowlers uh, PBA I, tour in uh in Maine. Oh, wow. Now, when we when we started the podcast, right before we started the podcast, I saw you talking to Lexi about leagues. Are we are we thinking about coming back? I, I really would like to. I've just had yeah. a, a lot of schedule changes and COVID in my life. And so I, I haven't bowled in a couple of years, but I am seriously thinking about it because I, I do miss it. So just so he gets a shout, uh, Harry Pretty won the first one. I'm not sure what his average is. I feel like it's high 90s, low 100s. Okay. Well, so back to channel, you know, your time. No, no, no. We're going to talk about the amateur tour for another hour. <laughs> okay. Well, you do what you want to do. We'll have a conversation over sure. here. So. Being on the bowler's side of it, I never liked the interview part. Was there any bowlers that really struggled with that? I don't remember that about you. I, I fought through it, but I was always really uncomfortable because I never knew what to say. Because I know that you you do other podcasts and you, you went to broadcasting school. So obviously it was something that you kind of jonesed to do. Uh, there was, as a matter of fact... And one of the best bowlers is one of the guys who's most frightened to talk, and that is Chris Sargent. So right here at at, uh, at Lita Lanes, uh, he won uh, one one week, probably more than that, but in this particular week, and I think he had, I want to say a four ninety five. So if you're bowling a four ninety five, you know you're you're getting done fast. That's for three strings, folks. That's for yeah. three <laughs> strings. Not four. So you have to, we had to on the show, fill 48 minutes of program time because of commercials and promos and other things. We couldn't come up short. And if we went too long, they would just cut some of it off. You know, like they used to do with Channel 5, they cut the first and second boxes in the third game. So uh, I, I went to Chris because the truck told me, well, uh, we're at 38 minutes. We have 10 minutes to fill. <laughs> so I, I gave that news to, to Chris Sargent and he was not... Too happy with that because he'll tell him next time. Don't throw so many strikes. Yeah. No. Uh, so I said to him, um, you can do it. Come on. It, it, <laughs> you know, you guys know what it's like to have nervous people. right? Yeah. So it just so happened on that day that his father, the great late Mike Sargent, happened to be in the audience. A lot of 
like uh, Jeff Surrett's dad used to come all the time. And it was really cool to see the dads come and support their kids. And that was the case. Mike Sargent was here to watch Chris, who had a spectacular day, probably the highest triple we ever had in the eight years I did the show. So his his dad, we invited his dad to come up and he filled a lot of the time. And, and Chris was instantly relaxed after having his dad up there. And the 10 minutes flew by because it turns out Chris is a good talker. A lot of them are. They just don't realize. Well, we get that a lot with the podcast where people go, you know, how are we going to talk for like an hour? And then we start wrapping the show up and they're like, was that already an hour? It's like it was an hour 30. Like sometimes we go way over. Um, but yeah, sometimes you get people going the trick, you know, just and, you know, making people more comfortable. That's really, really the trick to a lot of that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just a conversation like yeah. all my side stories end up coming out and we'll deviate. I don't know how many which way directions, you know, yes, yeah. but but um, that's that's the best part of this game is the side stories, which oh, is absolutely. why I wrote Lunch with Tommy and Stacia. There were too many side stories to evaporate into nowhere that nobody would ever know about. So that that was my goal was to capture those stories and and, and put in some you know some history as well. Right, and then, and I talking before the show. That's why we're doing this show. Yeah. So we can get an audio record of it. You know, while while these guys are still around and willing to tell these stories, there's still a few that are on my bucket list. I'd love to talk to Carrington. I don't know if he'll do it. I'd love to talk to Mikey Morgan. Yeah, know, it took the, me a little while to get to Carrington for the book. And uh, I, I never, we tried, I never connected with Mike Morgan. I mean, it's, I did talk to him on the phone. So some people are more available than others. But see, the downside of, of Canopin bowling, you know, losing centers is there's just fewer people that bowl anymore. But the upside is it's brought out guys like you yes. that do podcasts and the guys that are doing the streaming bowling matches and, and the personal money matches. That's that's really cool. That never would have happened. Oh, maybe it would have because technology has evolved to that yeah. point. But now you guys are filling a hole of bringing the community together in conversation, which I think is great. Well, we've talked about it before with that the Facebook group that I think Fuller and um, drawn on a name here that created Candlepin Chat. Is that um, is it Kevin Burns? Kevin Burns. It? Yeah. And I think that really, I know there was like the Voy Forum and the Cleary Forum, but I think that Facebook group has drawn so many people together. It started tournaments. It started people saying, hey, what about this idea for that? And I think it kind of, it brought a lot of the houses together and a lot of the, the people who ne wouldn't necessarily know each other beforehand. I mean, I can tell you, um, even the streaming, um, we were doing an Atlanta Candlepin singles tour match and uh, Bob Lee came down to watch. I want to say it was a match between me and Dan Castle. I think you might have been working that day, Jeremy. And he was just hanging out saying that he was watching yeah, it. He was I'm bowling like, in a, I'm like, what is this guy doing? He had <laughs> he had a stat book. He was keeping track of head pin shots, um, how many times you were hitting your object and everything else. And then he said, uh, well, if you're streaming, do you want somebody to do play by play? And I was like, yeah, sure. Never thinking it was going to take off to what it did. And then all of a sudden you have more and more guys jumping in. And then, you know, he created um, his group, Spread Eagle Production. Then Corey jumps in with Candlebin, uh, Candlebin Corner. We, we had the podcast. You have, um, you know, Ali Chat obviously started before any of that started. You have uh, Ripping the Rack. Ripping the Rack. Um, there's so much content out there right now. And it, I don't think there's ever enough. Um, that ACST uh, tour that I know Frank started had 32 professional bowlers. This year we have 128. Between we have an A division, a B division, which is capped at 110, a C division, which is capped at 102. And now we have some main bowlers saying we want to get in this. So Maine's going to have their own. It sounds like 32 bowlers bowling in it as well. And they're all, we all come to a heading and the A division bowls itself in the final. So that expansion never happens without those type, types of groups really starting to get in the ball rolling. And there, there were two guys in Millis today that were filming themselves. Yeah. So I don't know if they it was watched. one named Micah. I don't know. I've yeah, never seen there's a Micah that comes in every week and he films himself. But it was him and another guy. They were yeah. going on two lanes, swapping over, and they had a little camcorder. So I don't know if they watch the streaming stuff yeah. and then they're doing their own thing. And my understanding is he said he'll he'll join a league when he gets better. I, for the record, for anybody listening, that's a terrible approach in my opinion. I know a lot of people, especially people who stop bowling and then want to come back, where they go, "Well, I'm not going to bowl. In, I don't want to bowl in a league till I get better." Bowl in a league, you're gonna get better. That's right. yeah. Don't don't wait. You're gonna you're gonna waste so much time. And sometimes, too, if you bowl in a league, you're going to be around 30, 40, 50 people. And somebody might see something that goes, hey, I noticed you're dropping your shoulder. I noticed you're coming across your body. They might be able to fix it the first or second week versus trying to figure it out on your own. Watching my bowling video <laughs> with that description. Let's get Stop you in a league. crossing your body. Let's get you in a league. <laughs>
That, that was specifically aimed at you, by the way. No, <laughs> Appreciate that. What do, what do you have? Uh, what are some of your biggest memories of of the TV show, of Channel 50? First of all, the, the enthusiasm of the people that would show up as soon as Lita Lane's open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ray, the late Ray Simino, God bless his soul, would walk in or, or Sean or somebody would with boxes and boxes of Dunkin' Donuts. So I didn't know if they were there early to get seats or to get their pick of the donuts. Uh, but I, stories I hear from from other people who've done TV shows is there would sometimes almost be altercations because they get there early and like anything else, they, they squatters rights and they feel that every taping they're entitled to the same seat. Yeah. So, uh, so that part of it, I, I really enjoyed that the people really, really appreciated the show. Uh, and, and I, I guess it, it's kind of sad. One of the other moments, it was the last time that Tommy Morgan was on. Tom had brain cancer. He qualified for the Tournament of Champions early in the year when he wasn't sick or as sick. And then, uh, of course, the show was taped in April. I don't recall when he died. It wasn't long afterwards. But he showed up for the Tournament of Champions, and it was a struggle for him. And as bad as I felt for Tom, I felt bad for Gary Santora, who had to bowl a guy. There was only one person rooting for Gary Santora, and that was Gary Santora, probably. Yeah. Uh, because first of all, people love Tommy. Second of all, they hated to see what he was going through. Right. Right. I, I mean, I don't even think if Gary Santora could have just said, like, look, I don't even want to be a part of this. Like, I, I, I would have hated to be in that position. Well, the, the same thing happened to, and I want to say Paul Berger, I have to go back and reread my book. The opening story is the fact that Ed Zernike's mother, Stacia, yeah. died uh, the weekend prior to the Monday morning taping. Yeah, he told us he told us that story. Yeah. And uh, and I, I think it was Paul Berger, wasn't it? That, that Paul Bolt? Berger, yep. Right. And, and, and Don Gillis said to him, and I'm sure, you know, he told you guys, this, Don Gillis said, we don't have to do this today, Ed, if we can, we can do it another day. Nope. Mom would have wanted me to bowl, and, and so he did. And I, I think he got beaten. I think it was a fairly close match. And again, think of Paul Berger, yeah, who you know loved Stacia like everybody did, and and she beat his son. So. Well, and Jeremy, you have a very similar story for yourself as a bowler. Yeah. So my grandfather passed away in October of 2018. Now he he went to all my all my roll offs for Channel 50. He missed my first one. He missed my first taping because he was in Pennsylvania, but he made it to the second one. And I remember during the broadcast, you and Dick had mentioned that he had run over to you guys and was, you know, talking about, you know, this and that. I think like right before that, my team had set the fairway five team record or at least the league record. We went like 1970 with a bunch of, you know, house bowlers. (laughs) Wow. For five bowlers for five. Yeah. And and you guys, you know, mentioned it on the show and he was ecstatic to talk to you guys. But he passed away on a Saturday. I was taping a New England Candlepin show the next day. I didn't want to be anywhere near a bowling alley. And I kept saying, I'm like, no, I got to do it. I got to do it. You know, he'd be disappointed. And I bowled an 86 with a mark. It was the worst. You you had a lot of, like, real weird punches, too. But my ball was flat. Yeah. It was flat as could be. But but the the main point I want to get to on top of all that was he had lost to Michael Gender. And I don't know you. Hold the microphone up to your mouth. It's pretty close. Okay. So, and I believe Mike said to you, um, you know, everyone can see, you could just say it. Um, <laughs> Mike, had, Mike had said to you, that one doesn't count as far as. No, I know. I so, mean, he, he threw a 145 at me. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even close, but it was just one of those things. Like, he wanted I, to put Jeremy out of his misery quick. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was, it was brutal. Like even, yeah. even like Richie Myrick and Dave Chesico doing the commentating, right. they were dead silent. Yeah. He, and Richie told me afterwards, he goes, that was the most uncomfortable match like I've ever had to call. You know, and, it, and it was tough. I can tell you uh, in, in my radio career, you know, the day 9-11 happened, I was on the air as it happened, as it unfolded, which was terrible enough. And that was a Tuesday. So the rest of the week we, we, we talked about and we were kind of, uh, I guess, just helping each other get through it. Then the weekend came and I got to thinking, I'm not really sure if I should go back on Monday and and have fun. Yeah. And it, it, because I DJed a wedding that weekend and it was that was pulling teeth to get people to dance, understandably. And then the following Monday I decided, okay, we just have to go back 
to our lives again. I, Otherwise, the terrorists win. I think I think you also had to do it, too, because one of the things that I was taught, you know, Jeremy and I talked about it with you before we went to Kinetic School Broadcasting. One of the things that I learned was no matter, you know, you could have the worst day, you know, your, your dog just got hit by a car, but you got to go on and, and be that lively, exciting person because a lot of people listen to the radio for their entertainment, for their escape from reality. While you still have to, you know, talk about the news and current events, I think you need to give that levity because if, if you're somber and everybody else in the airwaves is somber, then people are always going to be sad. And as you said, that gives that gives them the win. We have to find our entertainment yeah. and our, and our but, but you know something? Um, I think that people do appreciate if, if something really horrible or something really funny happened. If you share it with listeners and not make a habit of be Debbie Downer, yeah. but uh, I think people can relate to you because everybody has a bad day yeah and they say oh look at you know he, yeah we think he's this guy that has this charmed life well yeah okay i'm not going to complain i have a great job but i have to go home and deal with the same stuff <laughs> you do and people appreciate knowing that you're a down-to-earth person and you go through the yeah. same crap they do no and i get that too now as far as like the levity uh kate had asked a question on uh the facebook page um and i never got to it on the, on the first go around as far as all of your broadcasting um was there any because you weren't live? Was there any bloopers that you had to cut out that you that stick with you or any a few? Well, uh, oh my, you know, over fifty years of radio, it's really all been live. Well, but what, what about candle, uh, the Candlepin? Oh, show? the Candlepin show. Okay, so you don't want to hear about the four f bombs in my radio? Well, career. I do okay. want to hear about those. <laughs> or I could make it five today. <laughs> That's fine. FCC. I, doesn't I don't think care. we have an FCC on the no. podcast, <laughs> which is good for that. Which is good. <laughs> uh, okay, so bloopers on the uh, on the bowling show. Uh, I'm not aware of any. I mean, I, I think the worst thing that typically happened is I was in charge of running the electronic scoreboard. Yeah. Uh, next to Dick. And if I like made a, a mistake, you know, entered the wrong number, he would just rip me a new one. It's like, oh, thanks, Dick. So, Throw me so, under the bus again. So Jeremy never threw like a first ball gutter and you said, we'll delete <laughs> well, that. Don't worry about no, it. No, he didn't. But because we had the bumpers up for him. So. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> I just remember you were one of the youngest looking people that we ever had on that show, along with Danny Harris. And this is what, 20 years ago, maybe? A little more 20, than 20 years 21 ago. years. I think, oh, my God. God. So <laughs> he does this to me constantly. Every time. <laughs> and actually, you know how you used to have a pre-shoot? Um, yes. So you'd have to go up, and then you'd have to roll a preview ball or whatever. So when they do their intros, you, they'd show you throwing a ball. Well, something happened. I threw a terrible ball, but something screwed up. And they're like, oh, you got to do it again. You got to do it again. And the next one, I threw a hammer. I'm like, I hope you got that one. <laughs> <laughs> I remember too on the on we had Matt Nichols on the podcast, and he had asked you a question, Jeremy. As he said to Jeremy, "Have you ever thrown a gutter on TV?" And Jeremy thought about it. He goes, "I mean, there were times I was shooting for the seven pin, and it, you know, it, it went a little left." And he goes, "No, first ball gutter." And Jeremy goes, "No," he goes, "I've done it twice." <laughs> <laughs> so, and the, so after after you went to Channel Fifty, we had the Channel Fifty Six show. Uh, Kennel Pins for Dollars. How did that show come about? Do you, who's who's that brainchild was that? That one came from out of nowhere. and It also involves uh, one of the most un uncomfortable moments in my life. So uh, when Channel 56, when 50 went off the air, because uh, they got sold and the new people didn't think Candlepins, you know, was they thought, what a stupid game. I mean, that happened a couple of times that we were. Oh, I able call it a stupid game every week. <laughs> <I know. laughs> we were able to usually talk the new owners into look at the ratings, higher ratings than any show on the station. So finally, you know, we didn't win that battle. So it was in the papers, of course. And I get a call at uh, WZID in Manchester, where I was working at the time, had a message when I got in one morning to call. I think his name was uh, Vin Manzi, I think was his name. General manager of WLVI said, I'd like to talk to you about doing the, the bowling show you know, in Boston. I'm thinking, oh, great. Hell yeah. What time do you want me to be there? So my whole assumption as we negotiated, I, I told Dick, hey, look, at, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go down. I'll, I'll take care of it. I got meetings with them and whatever. So I get there and they bring in Frank Malicote. Say, well, this is going to be your, your partner. Oh, I like Frank. He's, he's a great guy. But what about Dick's not on? So I had to make the call to Dick Lutzk. It was horrible because I incorrectly assumed him. Boy, there's a lesson learned. Yeah. Do not you. assume. So I called his number 
and there was no answer. So, oh, great. I have to I have to just stew in this a little bit more. And then I I called him and I said, I'm so sorry. It's on me. I didn't realize that they were just looking at me for this. So he was he was pretty cool to it, as you can imagine. I can't blame him. But before long, you know, he's he's a cool guy. He got past it. We've been good friends ever since. So. Well, I mean, it was a great show. It was so good. It was so well produced. And uh, and again, it was another, the TV station gets sold yeah. to the people that own Channel 7. And they weren't interested. Now, the ratings weren't great, but it was only one year. You gotta, yeah, you didn't right. get a chance to really build. It. You yeah. gotta exactly. find people, let people find it. We had some we had some great scores. I mean, listen, MASH didn't have good ratings their first season either. <laughs> then it built. So, yeah, because I, th I think Dave Barber threw a 192 oh my God. on it. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it, it was a great show. They they had the the, the pit cam, like the overhead cam. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They like they had like intros where you come down, you high five yeah. the crowd. Right. And so, so where was that based out? That was at uh, Pilgrim Lanes Pilgrim. Yeah. in Haverhill, and uh, Bart Maderas, who was instrumental in kind of putting it all together, was the producer and and the floor manager. He's the guy that got the crowd all whooped up and. Uh, he did a great job, and he. Uh, I, I felt bad because I. Th I think that set him back a little bit of money. I think he had a little skin in the game. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the the TV station pulled the plug after one season. Man, I love that show. So one of the videos that I, I talk to people a lot about is, um, especially when they're looking to get more into the game and more competitive, is the uh, Dan Murphy's Guide to Better Bowling. I reference that a lot. That's so funny because we did that in 1988 or 89. People are still watching it on YouTube. I can Take the fairway, by the way. What's a, was Taped it? a fairway. That's right. Yeah, lane three, maybe. Three yeah. Four, three or four. So he, he, we all saw the 10, 10 boxes, but there's stories that there was, tw <laughs> there was yeah. 12 boxes. All right. So there, there was 12 boxes. So we decided that if this is for new bowlers, we need to teach them how to keep score. Right. Because it's not, in, it's not intuitive. The way bowling is, is I learned as a six-year-old. So it's like, I, it's been with me. I can do it forwards, backwards. I'm sure you guys can too. What about the people today that never grew up with pen, pencil and paper and, yeah. and use the computers? Yep. They have no idea how to keep score, uh, bonus balls and all that. So I said, Dan, why don't we uh, have you bowl an actual string? You've showed us all the tips and the techniques. Let's uh, show people how to keep score. I'll keep score and you, you bowl, obviously. So uh, we get started. He begins with a four-bagger. So... And, and I'm thinking nobody's going to believe the game is this. It looks easy. <laughs> it's not. And people are going to go out after seeing this and they're not going to get a strike for three strings. Yeah. So I said, Dan, I'm sorry, but well, let's let's keep the double in at the beginning because that's a good that example of how to keep that, score. That could happen. It could happen. It, it surely could. So that's what we did. So we started uh, the next we started over from the third box down. And he still ended up with a good game yeah. with just the double A. I want to say like 151, and he was yeah, in the 160s like with the with the four bagger. I I found the actual sheet yeah. uh, from that day, and I I, I do a, a live presentation in libraries and whoever will have me, and I actually have a, a, a video of that or a picture of it. It's just just open with a four bagger. What I couldn't get over too is is when I'm bowling, like I have to be so focused in just to throw you know my 90 game. He's <laughs> he's sitting there. Literally mid-stride going, I'm going to aim for the seven, see if I can shoot it. Like, he's talking as he's bowling and still putting the ball anywhere he wants to I, put it. I don't think people this generation know how good he was. He's he's one of those guys that I've, we've talked about on the podcast that touched every area of the of bowling. Owner, broadcaster, bowler. Like So, so, so as a broadcaster, as a bowler, as an instructor, as an owner, yep. everything he did, not only did he do everything, he, he was so everything. <laughs> I mean, I still, I mean, I don't think I've seen a follow through like his ever. I mean, his arm is straight out. Other than Stacia, every single maybe. Time. <laughs> see, unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to see her. Being a yeah. fairway guy, it blows, it, like, it blows people's minds. I, I never got to see her. Just bowl. a little too young. Yeah, so I was 12 when she passed away. So Okay. So when, when we did the video, uh, the ICBA, of which I guess she was a consultant or something, had to sign off on it. You know, we showed them what we were going to do. And so I, I got a personal letter at my house from Stacia Zernike, yeah, which would have been 88 or 89. And I really like what you guys are going to do. And I give it my full support, signed Stacia Zernike. And I was excited with that. And then I got a dog 
about 12 years ago. Yeah. The dog didn't eat my homework. Oh. The dog ate my Stacia Zernike oh, no. letter. So all I had was just like a little crumpled piece of paper with her signature on it. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, but no. yeah, I can tell you, people people still are watching that video on YouTube. And, and all the kids in our kids league, I tell them, go home and go, you know, go on YouTube, type in Dan yeah. Murphy, Guide to Better Bowling. Um, it's on TikTok now. <laughs> not, I, I, not too. Sorry. I don't, I'm not, it's not bowling related, but my grandfather kind of has the same thing where he went to spring training once and he's a diehard Red Sox fan since the 30s. He talked to Johnny Pesky and he's like, I have this baseball signed by Ted Williams. Uh, would you sign it for me? He goes, yeah, absolutely. No problem. He goes, do you know how I can get in touch with Bobby Doerr? And he's like, oh, yeah. Like, here's his address. Here, write a letter to him. <laughs> so he no. wrote a letter to Bobby Doerr and he wrote... Bobby Doors wrote him a letter back and said, yes, send the ball. And he's like, well, here's a one in a million shot. He sent the ball out to Oregon to Bobby Doerr, who signed the ball, Hall of Fame 1986, wrote him a letter back and everything. I still have all those letters and everything, and I'm like, that needs to be in a locked safe That's somewhere. That's awesome. I'm waiting for, like, the story where your dog ate it. Like, I was waiting for this ending that never <laughs> no, happened. No, it's, it's in, like, a safe. <laughs> like, I was, too. I was waiting for the rub there that yeah. something happened to the ball. However, my father had an autographed Carl Yastrzemski baseball, and it was starting to fade, so she thought it was a fantastic oh, idea no. to write over it. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, that doesn't look good. Then she erased it. Oh, no. Uh, my father had to leave the house. <laughs> smart move, smart move. Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned uh, sending a letter, getting the address for, for Bobby Doerr. When I went to uh, Naples, Florida to talk to Tommy uh, Olsta for the book, uh, we're sitting out in the backyard or in his lanai and he's big old table and he brings out a sack of, of letters, postal letters. He dumps them out on the table and saved his fan mail and they were all addressed to his, his home address. Yeah, you know, you, they didn't set it to Channel Five or to or to Fairway or uh, Sammy White's or wherever he was bowling. They sent it to his house. And when when uh, he and Karen had had children, people would like make baby clothes for him. That's... It was such a personal and different world then. Well, he told a really tearjerker story on our podcast that um, when his son had passed, he got a letter like a condolence letter from somebody he had never even met before, but it was somebody that remembered him from channel five and talking about his kids and everything else. People, people have such a connection. My, my mom used to watch this show with my dad, all the Candlepin shows. And when I talk about certain people that are coming on the show, she gets so excited. Your father and I used to watch my father. My dad's no longer with us, but she gets excited to hear that. Like I'm getting the chance to sit down and talk with these people. Like they were Larry Bird. Like that's how like people need to realize like that's how they were seen in this area. I, I love that you had to get Janet Park to officially acknowledge that she knows you. Okay. So <laughs> my mom denies this story now, but it's a hundred percent true. So, <laughs> so my mom, I, when I was, starting to get more involved in the Candlepin world. And my mom started to realize that I was bowling more in just a house league in Millis. She asked me, do you know who the only woman is to make a men's ladder on TV is? And I said, yeah, Janet Pock. And she said, how do you know? And I said, I know Janet Pock. And she goes, you know of Janet Pock. And I was like, no, I know Janet Pock. And she looked at me and went, does Janet know you? And I said, yes, she does. She goes, so if you were at the grocery store and Janet Pock was at the store, she would know who you were. And I was like, yes. And she went, okay. So I had to tell Janet. And Janet finally was like, next time we're together, we'll get a picture together. So I still haven't got the picture. I keep saying we're going to well, get it. When we, had her, when we had her on the show, she's like... Yes, Mrs. Finn, I know Dan. Yes, she did. So I have. So my mom now has verbal confirmation that I know Janet Pock. So I tell you, it was pretty stressful uh, when those two, uh, she and Bruno DeFeo, bowled on the Tournament of Champions. Yeah. Because, you know, he's getting heckled. Well, don't lose to a woman. And she's getting all kinds of calls from supportive women. Oh, you got to beat them. So it was really difficult on both of them. So as far as I know, they hadn't really talked to each other since that 1990 whatever match yeah. uh, until i brought them together we sat down at uber and bolodrome and did the interview for the book and had to clear up a few misunderstandings and everything turned out just yeah fine. from the book it sounded like a lot of things she had heard that bruno had said he might not have actually said it might have been right. more hearsay and everything else probably was so and you know, and you don't know sometimes and i know i've been guilty of it you say something as a joke or sarcastically somebody repeats it without that tone and next thing you know, you're making a comment that you never had any intention of exactly of making, you know, maybe you said something off color and now all of a sudden it's, you know, it feels like national news. Right. So we, we've talked a little bit about things in your book, but I want to go back one step. So obviously you want to show the camera your book, your uh, lunch. Oh, OK. There it is. Get this on. Uh, you can get this on Amazon. Um, I'm sure, Corey, you can uh, post the link as well. Uh, sadly, 
the book has just sold out. Oh, wow. The, the first run. I I hope the publisher does a few more. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's called Lunch with Tommy and Stacia, TV's golden age of candlepin bowling. Because I really felt that this 50s through the 90s was the golden age. Yeah. And it's called, people say, why'd you call it Lunch with Tommy and Stacia? Well, if you didn't grow up in Boston, you wouldn't know this, and I didn't. But the more stories I heard from people, they would, like, like guys in my league at Acton say, oh, yeah, we'd sit down with a tray table, and we have our grilled cheese and our tomato soup. And Don Gillis no, would no say- No tomato soup. No tomato no, soup? No tomato would soup. Would you have chicken noodle? No, just my grilled cheese. All right, but it was grilled cheese. At least you that, had one of the That's how he two. keeps his great figure. <laughs> <laughs> Which but, figure are we talking about? Your bank account, from what I hear. <laughs> from but, all the soup you say. But but it, it was Don Gillis's slogan, remember? Hang on to those tray tables, boys and girls. He knew people were watching Eating Lunch at that yeah. time. That's why I thought this would be a good title for the book. Oh, it's fantastic. So you, you said it was the golden age. So a lot of times, and, and I... In bowling and outside of bowling as well, people have great ideas and they never do anything with said ideas. Once you got the idea to do it, what was the next step that when you decided it went from an idea to an action? Ah, I'd been thinking about it for years. And honestly, I wish I would have started it when I first thought of it in yeah. the mid like 2005 or six or whatever, uh, because there were so many more bowlers alive that, as you guys know, yeah. because you interview people. A lot of people are passing away, people that, that your listeners and viewers would like to hear from. So uh, in 2013 or 14, I retired, 2014, I retired from radio for the first of three times and decided I'd have the time to actually write the book. So I went to the, uh, the Hall of Fame event at DeBurrows that particular year, uh, 2014, I think. That's when Tommy was uh, nominated in the yep. Hall of Fame by his grandsons. And I just I just went around to everybody that I could see and that I knew and got their phone numbers and email addresses. I said, look, I'm going to do a book. I'm going to be in touch eventually. It's going to take a few years. And that's what I did. I just started compiling stories because the charm of this game is the stories. That's what I was going for. So the first interview was with. Uh, and I can't think of a better person, Tony Marie Baldinelli. We met at the 99 in Haverhill, right off of 495. And we just chatted for hours. And yeah. she told me about her father. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. So it, that was the fun part, was digging in and finding out all the things that I thought some people wouldn't know. Yeah. Now, do you, you we were talking a little bit about, you know, some people calling you up. We're not going to get into specifics or anything like that. But do you... you do you get some stories that came up after the fact that you wish you could have put in, but as you Ab absolutely, uh, I've I've had one or two bowlers reach out to me, and I don't know if they were hurt or not, but gee, you know, you didn't call me, and these were legitimate yeah. big time bowlers. Uh, I can think of two, and uh, I said I I'm so sorry, you did deserve to be in there. I couldn't get to everybody. Uh, if I would have kept writing this book, it still wouldn't be out. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's how I explained it. And my other great fear was that I was going to make a horrendous factual error. Yeah. So I had John Irby Kafalis, who is uh, quite an interesting guy. I said, would you mind going through the manuscript? Because you know everything about this game. <laughs> and I don't remember if I had Scott Moore do it because I felt he was another guy that really knows it. And they didn't come up with, with anything, surprisingly. Yeah. So that, that made me happy because the book was based on the interviews from the people that I talked to and, you know, some of the, the TV shows that I did as well. Yeah. And to, to talk about the original streamer, of Irby, Irby's YouTube channel, I mean, has hundreds of videos. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He used to film Pro Series events, finals. Everything. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember him telling me about uh, he was at Sudbury Bowl and he, he was digging into a dumpster for something. I mean, this guy is just a, a, a candlepin bowling rat. Is, yes. and, and, I mean, and I mean that lovingly, Herb. Because <laughs> uh, I've spent many hours uh, on the computer, you know, messaging and uh, getting stories from him. And I was grateful for his help. Do you have a, do you have a few favorite stories from the book? Well, um, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, one of them involves uh, Gary Carrington. Uh, as you guys, well, you bowl on the Pro Tour, right? Or... All right, so you know that you have a little WCBC patch that you have to wear, right? It was and a $10 you, fine if you don't. Oh, it was 10 Well, at the time the story takes place, it was only $5. Well, by the time I got there, it was 10 Okay. Inflation. <laughs> Inflation. There you go. So Dottie Lawrick, who is another. Have you had her on? I no. have not yet. We should have. She lives in Nashville. I'm not coming back to Nashville. <laughs> this is a, a one-time thing. Lexi, she, I love you, but I'm not coming she's back. She's worth it for the stories. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, I mean, her house, I went to her house and her dad literally 
kept every score for all the Channel 5 shows for probably the first 20 years. And then for whatever reason, he made her do it. Yeah. And she's got these file boxes. So anyway, back to Dottie. It was her job to collect the fines for the people that did not wear their patch. And, you know, Gary Carrington has always been the kind of guy he'll he'll pretty much he marches he to his own. You know, God bless him. So uh, he knew it. So she was coming down to collect the five dollars before the WCBC thing started. And before she could even get to him, he tossed his wallet to her. Because he knew what was coming. Yeah. So here, take the $5 out. So instead of going up to the counter, where I'm sure she had her cigar, cigar box, because everybody in bowling uses cigar boxes to collect money, or they did. Uh, instead, she marched into the bar and bought everybody a round of drinks on Gary's <laughs> dime. <laughs> and he didn't know it. I, I don't know when he finally found out. I don't think I was the one that told him, but I may have been when I said, all right, so this is a story Dottie gave me. And he said, yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite things of all the podcasts, especially for for people who bowled in the pro series and stuff like that, and Jeremy, I've told you that this before, is in in when we did the podcast in Mills, it was always Jeremy and I side by side, and then the the guests would be on the other side of the table because we never did the camera. And people would be like, you know, bowling in the pro series, and then they would look at both of us and they would go, Jeremy, bowling in the pro series, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here and listen. <laughs> Although Gary Carrington did indirectly buy me a beer. Yeah. He told somebody else to do it. Oh, <laughs> that, that's almost as good. I, I was I didn't get in the high single for whatever for whatever reason. I threw like a one sixty something, the last oh. string of a ten stringer, and uh, Dottie goes over to hand him the money, and he goes, "What, what are you talking about? Jeremy threw a one sixty something," and I'm like, oh, "I didn't get it." He goes, "Oh, thanks a lot." Hey, Doucette, go buy him a beer. <laughs> well, I hope you get you can get Gary to. Uh, you may have that, to go that to would him. be a good one. Yeah, I'll have to talk to Godwin. I know. I know he's yes. pretty pretty close oh, to yeah. him. Yeah. Well, and it's tough too because I remember we we always joked that like our big you know someday we're gonna get Tommy someday we're, and then like our fifth podcast we got Tommy. And I was well now what? <laughs> <laughs> now what do we do? <laughs> that was that was always gonna be the build up too, but we couldn't say no or save you for later. No, we're gonna get we have an opportunity to get you on the podcast. We're gonna we get you on the podcast. We didn't know he was gonna start spending summers up here. Yeah, I think he's gonna move up here during the summer he's gonna be a snowbird oh, i knew he came back for a couple of weeks uh every august yeah yeah and this year he came early and he uh he uh came and uh, hung out with you at bold with the with the pros yeah, so so right? he's he's doing out on the bear oh he is gonna do he it he's doing out on the bear. well his grandson won the last scratch okay. oh so nice. and when is that uh that's september 17th thanks oh, so for he's still gonna be here then he huh? says he's gonna be here but somebody wow. asked about worlds and he said he'll be gone by then he's gonna yeah. be back in florida by by yeah, uh, that's november right yeah. and yeah. where is it this year I think Academy. Yep, confirmed Academy. So it's going to be back in this country again. Yeah. Because I felt horrible when Lunch with Tommy and Spaceship came out. It cost as much to mail a book to Canada as the book itself. Yeah. So a couple times I sent like a box of them with, with people across the border or shipped it to somebody who had a bowling center on the on the line between U.S. and, and uh, New Brunswick. But that's it. And I know there's other people that want it. Now it's sold out. So uh, and, and because of COVID, I never got to come to the last one that was it was in the U.S. But what's interesting is uh, the Amazon version uh, in Canada is like Amazon.co or yeah. something like that. Right. So CA. I CA. Yeah. That would make more sense. Yeah. So I went on there one day just to, to see if lunch was on there. And there was two copies. They were selling for like one hundred and twelve dollars. Seriously. I don't know. Wow. I mean, if they sell, that's awesome. That's pretty sad. Hey, well, is yeah, it like that? Is it like that pin on eBay that's selling for $4,000? Oh. Someone's going to bite. Are you sure it's not Pinterest? <laughs> Someone's <laughs> going to bite. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. No. I'm going to hey, grab one from Ryan's and see if I can get it for three. Hey, can, can we do a trivia question and give a shirt away? Sure. So is that... So we we do have some people in in the in the room right now. We okay, can also good. post it on the Facebook and tell people to go in. Um, actually, why don't we wait? Like, why don't you? Can you post that we're going to do the trivia question now, and we'll do the trivia question in five minutes. Okay. Maybe we'll get some more. It's a shirt, and I'll and I'll mail it to you. I'll get your address, and yep. uh, and maybe uh, Danny can show. Maybe. No, we're good. Just a little far, but we can show it. Yep. <laughs> um, but we so we were going to mail it. So well, so, we should we should say what's on it because uh, sure. Know. So I don't know if you can read. It. So go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, it's 25 years uh, after the Channel 5 show went off. I, I did a bunch of shirts with the actual uh, final graphic of the Channel 5 show. Uh, and it says, Canopin Bowling with Jim Britt and Don Gillis, October 4, 1958 to January 27, 1996. So I made a bunch of them up and sold some of them. And I brought some along today. And uh, I'll have a trivia question 
having to do with Candleton Bowling. Oh, okay. Thank, thanks, Corey. <laughs> Looks pretty. So hold, uh, you're a little. Okay, that's uh, that's good enough. So hold it there. We'll do I mean, a five it count. It doesn't have to be level. No, it's perfect. <laughs> it's. Believe All right, me, I, I think that's good. I'm aware. All right, so you you posted the question. Aware. So so let me know uh, when when. To do yeah, so we'll do it in about like five minutes. Okay. Okay, cool. Get somebody to answer the question. So so you you did the book. You you got some great stories. What was something that you heard in that? that somebody told you a story that you had never heard before. Cause I know even in the podcast, sometimes we ask questions we know the answer to. Um, and, and a lot of it is more for, for the listening and for the, for the capture of audio. But what was something that you would ask somebody and they answered a question or told you a story that you had no, like really caught you off guard. Wow. There was a lot of those and that that's a tough one. Um, I'm thinking, uh, oh, you know, this was kind of funny. I think Dottie Lawrig told it to me. I'm telling you, you got to get Dottie on. Uh, she she was the scorekeeper for the Channel 50 show for many, many years and a bunch of other shows. So it had to do with Dan Murphy. Uh, Dan Murphy uh, is a man who's got so many or had so many great stories. So it was uh, Dan Murphy was doing an instructor school somewhere. Was it about? Uh, I, I he, it traveled around. I don't uh, think it was always about. Well, he tried to make it, you know. So yeah, I think I did mine at Portsmouth. It, yeah, it may have been Portsmouth, and Dottie was there, and she was like really nervous because, well, there's a lot of factual things you need to know, right? And I don't know if there if you do any bowling for Dan at all, but uh, they 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 have you watch somebody bowl and try to correct them. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, so when I did the course, we all had a we got to bowl one box, and he gave us some uh, tips on on what we were doing. So Dottie was doing it, and I think in this particular case, they were going to announce um, who made it and who didn't make it. And I don't, I don't know if you find out that very day. You did. I did not. Right. I didn't so either. okay, that then that, that makes sense here. So they were at Londonderry uh, back when it was there, and he, Dan Murphy, was there. Well, today I'm going to announce all the people that that the instructors that made it and he announced everybody's name except Dottie Lawry. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh yeah. And and of course uh, he she did she did make it. Uh and and but she just was <laughs> so crushed yeah. that she didn't make it. Another story involving uh Dan uh, Murphy is uh this this one involves Stacia Zernicke. He was at I want to say Fairway and they were doing because she was uh, the, the great instructor, as was he. All right, Stacia, you're so good. I'm going to go out past the lob line and I'm going to I'm going to kneel down and just leave you a little opening. And you have to roll the ball between my legs. <clears throat> Please don't lob this time. Oh, man. <laughs> and, Jeremy, you're a great bowler, but I would never do this for you, by the way. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> trust me. <laughs> and uh, then there was the great uh, the, the great story of him and uh, Bob uh, Foraker. It was probably, uh, what was that show? Uh, Bay State Bowling. And you were talking, Jeremy, earlier about how we, we would shoot uh, a sample of you, you know, on the approach and bowling so that we could run that as we introduced you. So they, they had the guy, one of the people, and, and, and uh, Dan didn't remember who it was, I don't think. Maybe it's in the book. And the guy goes to the foul line and his, his pants rip completely from crotch all the way down, just completely rip. So, of course, Bob Foraker, being the jokester that he was, he made them run it over and over and over, <laughs> oh, no. as you can imagine. Here's the weird part of this story is it happened to be this guy's birthday <laughs> and his wife happened to have a new pair of pants in the car oh. as a birthday present. The life has a way of working itself out sometimes. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's crazy. I don't want to give too many spoiler alerts. Oh, I can't sell any books anyway. We're sold out. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. We, all right. The production cup. We got to get we got to get more books going. Obviously, it's sold out. It's got to be doing well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it did. And um, yeah. All right. So we 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 have a few people in, in the room. We're going to see if any of them can answer this question. Dan Esdell seems to be the most active. So I think the pressure is going to be on him. So go ahead and, and ask your trivia question. All right, so uh, and it is in the book, by the way. So I would get your book ready. Some, but it's a, a kind of an obscure question. You have to kind of use your head on this one. You know how the, the Mass State Tournament was like just massive. I mean, there was talk about the golden age. And where I grew up in Detroit, Detroit had a, a you know a similar tournament where all the teams and you had all events and singles and doubles and everything. So uh, the Worcester Telegram and Gazette in the city, the birthplace of Candlepin Bowling, ran their massive tournament. And it went for weeks because and there was like 30 bowling centers. 
it was just amazing. So, but there was uh, a couple of weeks in 1950 for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette annual tournament that they had to uh, postpone it. You need to tell me why. And I'll write this down for you guys because you don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. So if somebody doesn't answer it here, we'll post it on the Facebook page as well um, and get somebody to answer it there. Or maybe we just tell people the question is somewhere in the podcast. Answer it and you get a shirt. (laughs) 1950. 1950, yeah. Why did it get postponed? I'm going to type the question in, right? Yeah, yeah. Why was the 1950 Worcester Telegram Gazette Citywide tournament postponed. I can't. I want to make sure that doesn't come up on camera, right? <laughs> no, trying to think good. if there okay. are any major if events. Someone, that, if somebody that can that... enhance the video enough to read that answer, they, they win. <laughs> <laughs> right. There it is. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so if anybody gets it on, on the uh, on, on the link, so I'm going to leave this with Corey. So yeah. So, so if somebody pops it, right? up, so Ezzy's a good one to get the answer because he's in here. Worcester tornado uh, outbreak. Is that the right answer? That was 1953. Nice try. <laughs> Good. I feel like Frank. If Frank's still in here, he's somebody that, that knows a lot about and, the and, But it was about answer. that time of year. Yeah. It was springtime. Good answer, Ezzy, but not the right one. Not the right one. No shirt for you. No soup for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you're a big person because I only have extra larges left. <laughs> oh, every time I bow bad, he comes over and he goes, we're going to gonna have a big guy hug. So... <laughs> So like we, talked, we talked a lot about the streaming age and, and how it's changed. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about getting back behind the microphone for some of these streamed matches? I mean, I, I would consider it. It would have to fit my schedule. And and after doing this all these years, I don't like to do anything for free. But but it is bowling, and I and I might consider it yep. because, you know, I love the guys. I don't know all the people, you know, yeah. because they weren't around on TV. I mean, Jeremy, you just made it in. Uh, Jeff Surratt just made it in, but there's so many great bowlers like Dave Godwin. I don't think he ever made the Channel 50 he, or 56 show. He would probably no, he, well, he made Comcast. Comcast, right? So th- those guys got a taste of it. So yeah, yeah I, I would consider it. I like that it's technically looking a little bit better. Some of the scoring graphics are better. I mean, somebody holding up a, you know, like at Central Park Lanes, a sheet that's got you know the pencil writing. That's okay. That's part of the charm of the game. But you have to make it watchable for people other than bowlers to I watch say, it. I would say that those graphics coming up probably was what the last six to eight months that people started. So, so getting... some of the stuff that that Frank and Brendan no doubt have been doing for Candlepins for Cancer have been. But a lot of that's post, right? Or is that no. a lot? They're no, doing I that was, live. I was here Sunday for the taping. Yeah, so they, he just started doing that live it's, now. It's insane the amount of work these guys put into the taping. So it's live to tape, is what you're yeah, saying? So they got monitors. They've got Frank DeLuca has his screen with all the different camera angles on it. They have the scoring up. These guys get their headsets and get a look at the scoring. It's it's all live. Frank has a little mini TV truck on a table. Yeah, does he? He so does. You, so the tournament of champions was here last Sunday. This past Sunday. Sunday. Who won? Can't tell you. Damn it. Oh, I ask him every time and he won't tell me. (laughs) He's supposed to be my friend, you know. (laughs) That's why I'm between you two guys. (laughs) But no, the the amount of work that they put into it is they they want they want it to be perfect. All right. So why don't we did not get an answer. Dan Dan Ezel can keep guessing if he wants, but you can post it on Facebook, Corey, if you'd like as well. Just post the question and um we'll see if we can get an answer. Yeah, first first person that gets it right. And it was in 1950, you 1950, said? 1950, the Worcester Telegram Gazette. Again, this was the center of the universe for Candlepin Bowling, folks. Uh, even in 1950, more so than Boston was, a birthplace of Candlepins. Why was that big tournament? And it, it was massive, like the Mass States was. Why was it postponed for a couple of weeks in 1950? I, I actually want more because de- you showed me the answer. I want more details on this if you have any as well. So... We talked a little bit before, too, while, while we're waiting to see if we can get a right answer here about uh, I made a joke that said you're going to need a part two. And you said you crammed everything into this book. Pretty much. But as you did bring up, too, the book would never be finished if you were waiting to get all the stories. Because I look at a guy like Josh Daly and I look at a guy like um, Charlie Collins. Um, stories are still being written today. Very good point. The the, the the challenge for me would be I don't know where to start with these guys. Well, I knew a lot about all these people I talked to. And so it was easy to kind of put together an outline for some questions and then just let them go with it. I would just have to go fishing with a lot of these guys. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but I'm uh, I'm working on another book right now uh, about the history of the Red Arrow Diner, which is a a big, very popular 100-year-old diner that's turning 100 in October. And so it's kind of like the Candlepin book. It digs in to people that were there at the beginning, including the founder, 
whose son uh, was connected to the Rockefellers. Nobody's going to believe that storyline. It was like, wow, seriously? And I got that by going to the son of the guy that founded the company, who's about 90 now. And he's, he's just telling me all these amazing stories. Paul Newman used yeah. to be a neighbor of Paul Newman. They would cook wow. together. <laughs> so they're connected to the Red Arrow Diner, which I, I, I'm going to guess you guys have probably never been there. Hey, maybe we should go there because they're open 24 7. Let's go. I'm in. <laughs> I got no plans. My wife, my I haven't eaten dinner yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm in. Um, did we get an answer on Facebook at all or no? Not yet. Still waiting on answers. All right. I'll, I'll give a clue. Okay. Uh, it, it would be probably happening at the at the same time that every year there is a big uh 12 hour tournament here at Lita Lanes. Interesting. That's a good hint. It's a great hint. Yeah. So <laughs> b- before we before we kind of wrap it up, I usually ask bowlers what who their favorite person was, like who their favorite guy was to watch, somebody they looked up to. So obviously you're on the other side, you're on the microphone side of it. Was there ever like a t- like a guy that when you walked into a show and saw the list of people bowling, you'd be like that you would be really, really, really excited to see that. You know, that's a really good question because I couldn't wait to find out who the qualifiers were. And then, you know, there were times I'd be more excited than other times. Like when I saw Seaholm showing up, I'm thinking, who, who the hell is this kid? Yeah. <laughs> but you were good. You, you were very good. Actually, there was two of us. There was, uh, Jeff Bougia was on the same ladder. We were okay. both 19 years old. Really? He was the number one seed. All right. And then I, I, I forget. I think he had like a 680. A Sorry. Dan Esdell says Easter. Yeah. It was religious holidays. Religious that holidays. Don't forget. This was 1950 when people were, they, they went to church and they knew they wouldn't draw probably enough bowlers um, because it, this is a tournament that ran in the spring, much like I'm going to guess the Mass State tournaments did as yep. well as, as a lot of end of the year. You know, it's how you wrap it up. So uh, if you would have that person uh, send his uh, or her, uh, who was it? Dan Dan Asdale. Okay. Make sure he gets his uh, address and all that stuff to me, and I will put it in the mail to him. And uh, tell him it's XL. So if he's a thin person, he needs to start eating right now. (laughs) Dan, if you're a thin person, start eating right now. (laughs) Dan Dan is a former professional wrestler. (laughs) Oh, is he really? Yes, he's a – But anyway – He he dwarfs me. I I don't want to blow your question (laughs) off. Uh, I was usually pretty excited when I would see the Fireballers show up. I mean, I was always excited when Gary Carrington was going to be on the show. Uh, another person who I really miss, who I think maybe we had him on once, was Joe Ashline. That guy really fired away, man, I'll tell you. And he's a local guy, too. He's, he's, I think he's, he's from Nashville, Nashville. That's right. In fact, I, I played softball against him. Our radio station uh, played all over the place, and we played against the, the Pro Bowlers. And he, he said, I'm, I'm going to take you out. So, man, he 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 ripped one right up the middle because I was a pitcher and it just missed me. And he wasn't kidding. And of course, at the at the beginning, when we took it over in 97, I don't we didn't have any uh, any uh, qualifying rounds at, at the beginning. So I think we took the top five singles bowlers from probably the Mass State tournament that year, one of whom was Tom Olsta. So it was exciting to have him on the show. Yeah, because he didn't really try out for that show. No, I don't think so. He just got a spot because he did really well in the state tournament. Yeah, we had to figure out how, how are we going to seed this first episode before the uh, roll-off started coming in. Right. And then I think he came back around 2002, 2003. Actually, I think he was in the same ladder as Tom Morgan. Uh, yeah. I want to say he was in the Tournament of Champions, yes. too. He didn't win, I don't think. No, I think he did. I, did think, he? He, I think he won that year. Oh, okay. Because I, I want to say he uh, – I, I can't remember who he bowled, but I think Gary Santora, you know – Defeated Tommy Morgan. I think he bowled Tommy Olsta after Was that that same ladder? I think it was the same ladder. Good memory. I was there. I don't know exactly. It's not good for anything else, but that's (laughs) fine. I've got all the records at home and on my computer. That's cool because you can give me like the RBIs of some random Phillies player from like 1978. So your memory is fine. Maybe not the Phillies. (laughs) (laughs) The Phillies? He just has random player knowledge. Nobody good. Just <laughs> you always have those couple of obscure baseball players that you just remember. You just do. What was Bobby Doerr's address? <laughs> I have no idea, but uh, somewhere in Oregon. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're we're just at about an hour. Okay. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you're one that I've wanted to have on here for a long time because I know you'd have all these stories especially from the book and your time in TV. It's just been an absolute pleasure. 
Well, yeah. you know, I, I know all you guys, and you still you have the passion for the game. And if it's going to survive, it's got to be with people like you. And I, I and like I said earlier, you're filling the gap that TV, commercial TV, isn't doing. It would be great if it came back, and it would be great to blend together and make a, uh, I guess, kind of a hybrid of streaming and commercial over the air TV. I hope that can happen. I I, I hope so too. I mean, it's going to take a lot of money. It, yeah. it will, but somebody out there that loves the game has that money. You just have to find out who it is. Who that is. We're start, <laughs> going to start checking bank accounts. Yeah. Dan, Dan Esdale also wanted to say, the one who won the shirt, thank you uh, for all you've done and continue to do for the game of bowling. Oh. So that, that's from Dan Esdale. Uh, thank you. S- speaking of Dan Esdale, and I, I can't go without saying this, we were we were talking about, uh, so we have two different podcasts in, in Massachusetts right now. Um, the Approach, and then we partnered up with, Corey actually does a podcast with Jordan Britton called uh, Candlepin Corner. We partner up for these live podcasts. But um, somebody, me, was talking a lot of smack on, on, on one of his podcasts. And he, he challenged myself and Jeremy with him and Jordan to a scratch money match. And we we're thinking about doing it here. And Dan Esdell will be calling the match. If you have any interest in stopping in, we don't have a date yet. But if you're, in, if you're around. Yeah. I, I mean, I live in Nashua, so uh, I would love yeah, we were to talk, see that. We were talking, loser makes a donation of candle for, uh, for cancer is what we're going to oh, do. Oh, so, okay. Um, so if you're around. We'd well, love to have you come please, down. please right. let me know if, if I can. I will. Absolutely. Right. Thank you so, so much. So thank you for having me. It was so much fun talking bowling with people that, that love it almost as much as life itself. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Well, I mean, it is our lives. Yeah, it is. It, it really has turned into that. Well, you drove all the way up here, you know. It means, yeah. Well, it means a lot to have you on the podcast. Every we, it, And we want to get as many of these stories as possible. So, so. who do I give the 1099 form to? <laughs> <laughs> But thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me.